Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for uh, our church family. We're thankful for the, for the meal we have. We're thankful for uh, those that prepared it. We're thankful for the fellowship we can have. We're thankful for the ability to come in the middle of the week and study your Bible, study the Word of God. I pray uh, that we have ears to hear and, and minds to take it in and understand it, uh, hearts and feet that will carry it out, walk it out in faith. I pray for our kids all the, the ages of the kids down there tonight, I pray that they are learning tonight, that there is a foundation being built tonight, and, and all the things that can be put in their mind, I, I know this is the thing that will carry them, that, that will be a foundation, an anchor. And so I pray, Lord, that you bless the effort, and I pray, Lord, that they uh, are built up tonight. I pray for our youth tonight, same thing. So many things to pull them astray, so many things to mislead them. I'm thankful for the anchor of the Word of God. I pray that it's understood and that it matters tonight. I pray for our, our adult classes, uh, all the ones meeting tonight. I, same thing, I pray that you are known, that your truth is made clear. I pray for a supernatural tonight, night tonight when you speak uh, through your Word. I pray for the, the class we're in tonight. pray for those that are listening online tonight. Again, that we uh, draw closer to you, that we hear, that we understand and that we are pleasing in your sight. We're thankful for this opportunity. We pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we are moving along in uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. We've made our way to this place. Uh, this is Lesson 71. The title of it is The Wedding Guest. Uh, our verses tonight, our key verses are John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read those verses tonight. We'll uh, hear those and then we'll go back and we'll break them down and look at them piece by piece. So uh, John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, it says this, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Those are the verses we're going to operate out of tonight. It's interesting. We've heard that. Uh, I think sometimes we're uh, familiar with that, but I think there's uh, quite a bit there that we're going to be able to unpack and look at tonight. Uh, the key point tonight, miracles were an integral part of Jesus' ministry. If you have the worksheet, uh, tied to, tethered to his teaching ministry, uh, miracles and his teaching, both of them serve to declare the identity of Jesus. Uh, where one of them, his teaching ministry, uh, proclaimed who Jesus was, and that's what he's clearly doing. The other, the, the 
demonstration of miracles confirm that truth, validate that truth. Now think about that. He shows up. He makes a bold declaration. He is the Christ. Uh, he is the Son of God. He is divine. Uh, huge declarations. And these miracles serve to validate that, to confirm that. And then both of those things are pointing to his identity. In these verses here in John, we find the first recorded miracle of Jesus. First section on your worksheet, see the signs. It's important, I think, right here to, to see what we're looking at tonight, to see the miracles of Christ for what they were. They were signs. Uh, just like today, if you leave here and you go see a sign, uh, your, your natural question is, what is that saying? What is that telling me or what is that pointing to? Our, our kids' class tonight, they've got a bunch of signs posted up. Uh, when you see a sign, it tells you, it points you to something. So uh, the question is, what are, what are they pointing to? Uh, the, the outcome or the result of his miraculous acts uh, may have served different needs uh, may have fulfilled different needs, uh, but understand they were always pointing to a greater truth. So he may have been healing somebody. He may have been feeding the 5,000. He may have been providing the wine at this wedding, but it really wasn't so much about the need that he was feeling uh, as it was the message that he was declaring. And so it's not that much about the miracle so much as it is about the message. Uh, I, I heard a preacher once a preacher once say that if Jesus came to heal everybody. Uh, when he ascended and went to heaven, everybody would have been healed. Uh, if, if he came to, to, to alleviate uh, social justice issues, when he went to heaven, that would have been taken care of. He comes to provide a remedy for sinners. And when he ascends to heaven, we have a Savior, a remedy for sinners. So he does what he came to do. And so it's not so much about the specific miracle. Yes, he's meeting needs, but that is pointing to a message. And so we need to, as we study this, go, well, what is the message? What is being declared right here? It's not so much about the miracle as it is the message being relayed. It truly is a sign. The, the last verse is going to say that. All right, let's work through the verses, starting in verse uh, 1 and 2. It says this, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. All right, let me explain the, these two verses. The third day, uh, there is a, notice here a, a succession of, of statements, and the next day, and the next day. Here it says, and the third day. Uh, things are now starting to happen in fast order. Uh, the gospel accounts have opened up. We have the birth of Christ. We now have the movement into his public ministry. And so now things are starting to happen. Now there's a movement. And this happened. And then this happened. And then this happened. So now there's a movement that is, that is taking place. Things are happening in fast order. Um, it says on the third day, this is three days from the call of Philip and Nathaniel. Now we studied that in chapter one, uh, that event. And so Nathaniel has been called, Philip has been called, and now it has been three days. It says that they've made their way back to the region of Galilee, to this little town of Cana. Uh, it was about a three-day journey. And so when it says now three days later, we can understand or we can presume they spent the three days walking. So uh, there's that event of the calling of those two guys. And now they've headed back to the region of Galilee. 
because it was a three-day journey, you can imagine they spent the three days uh, walking their way back up there. Cana was a small village. Nazareth is not a, a, a large, substantial town. Cana evidently was even smaller than that, uh, seven or eight miles from Nazareth. So they get back to Galilee. It's back to their hometown, his hometown of Nazareth. Cana is a town about seven or eight miles away that would have been even smaller. We find here the role of Mary at this wedding. Uh, she seems to be facilitating what is going on. Now understand this, this wedding feast, we'll, we'll talk about it more, uh, but most likely the folks that are serving it are volunteers. And so they didn't hire a catering service or the neighborhood caterers don't come over and take care of it. Most likely these are volunteers. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, evidently is probably related to the family. Most likely these are her relatives. And so she's there as a relative who has volunteered uh, to help in the, the wedding event. Uh, arriving back in Nazareth, uh, she's already there. She's already helping serve there. Jesus returns back, and because he is the family, uh, he is naturally invited to the wedding, uh, and the disciples come with him. No one would have known who they were, and so they probably didn't have a, a standing specific invitation, but they're with Jesus. Jesus is with the family, so they make their way to Cana for this wedding. All right, verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I want to tell you about a couple things on, on that verse. Uh, first off, we need to understand the hugeness of the, the wedding event in Jewish life. Uh, this was a big deal. This is one of the things that was a hallmark of their life, something they looked forward to, something they celebrated something they invested heavily in. Uh, the actual wedding celebration marked the, the culmination of the betrothment. Uh, they would have been, we kind of call it an engagement. It was more serious to them. Uh, but, but that could have been a two-month process, a six-month process. Sometimes it lasted an entire year, depending on the circumstances. So they are counted as married. They are, they are what we would call engaged. Uh, in, their, in their system, they're counted as married. And that process, a couple months to as long as a year. At the end of that, they would have the wedding celebration. The wedding celebration, it could last as long as a week, uh, sometimes three or four days, two days, but it was a big event. So you go through that period, you head into the celebration, it's going to last several days and maybe as long as a week. A banquet would have been the end of that. So they would have gone through the streets, picked everybody up, had a big parade over to the house. Uh, they would have had a giant feast set up. And so here is the end of this process. Here is now probably the end of the week, uh, a, a celebration with this big banquet. It's the grand finale of the whole thing. I understand this, and I, I had to spend a lot of time looking up uh, some things about this. Wine was the predominant drink of the time in the area in which Jesus lived. Uh, there, it's funny, growing up as a Baptist, it seems sometimes people try to make this fit a narrative that, that's not exactly right. Well, it was non-alcoholic wine, or it was grape juice. It was wine. It was actual wine, and that was the predominant drink of the day. Now, there's no means of refrigeration. Milk wouldn't last very long. Juices, other juices would uh, very quickly spoil the predominant drink of the day in this area was wine. And, and so I don't, I try to, well, what would that be for us? 
for some of y'all, for my wife, it might be Dr. Pepper or Dr. Pepper. For most of us, we'd say tea. Well, we go somewhere, we get tea. This is, the, water is probably not uh, the main drink or even really something that would get, get up in, in great consumption, uh, but it, this is the predominant drink of the day. And it's also interesting, ancient writings, there's two different books um, that explain the Jewish law. So the, the Jewish law comes along, and then the oral law is added to it. They would say, uh, additions, well, if you shouldn't do this, well, to make sure we don't do this, we'll add three laws that make sure we don't even get close to doing that. So they add a lot of oral law or oral tradition to it. Now, there are two different Jewish books that explain uh, the oral law and also explain uh, how to apply it. Uh, if you go back and read those, those are ancient Jewish writings, they tell us most of the wine that was used was diluted for daily use. Uh, that's going to play into the story a little bit later. Uh, some of the formulas would say one to three, and so it would be one part wine, two parts alcohol, uh, water. Uh, some of them would say as, as much as one to ten, one part wine, nine parts water. Um, I read Plato 400 years before Christ. Uh, he actually said only a barbarian would drink wine that wasn't at least diluted one to one, one part water, one part wine. So it probably was diluted, but it is, it is alcoholic wine. Um, again, Mary's involvement in this issue shows that she's probably helping facilitate the wedding. And so she's not just a busybody that says, hey, I see something happening. She's probably helping uh, facilitate the wedding. All right, verse 4. Let me read three again. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Uh, verse four is a very strange verse uh, at face value. He makes this statement and it, it kind of sounds pretty rude when you, when you hear it. Uh, the word woman uh, in, in the Greek language here um, it is a word that's very similar to the word ma'am. And so it's not really an impolite thing, but it's also not a very affectionate thing. And so he doesn't say, hey, mama, uh, we, what are you talking about? Uh, he says, uh, woman, ma'am, what does that have to do with us? Uh, so it's not really affectionate, but it's also not impolite. It's just a weird turn how he now turns and addresses her. Uh, Jesus tells her his hour has not yet come. Uh, that hour, that's all the way through the New Testament. He's referring to his public death and resurrection. And so the hour of his glorification, he's going to die for sin. He's going to be resurrected. That is the hour. Uh, it, it, it can be seen if you start looking at this set of verses, beginning with this event, you start seeing a groundswell of popularity. Uh, we hear about Jesus. We hear what he's done. And this is really going to be the starting place of that. Now, he's preached in a couple places, but, you know, what is this? There's a lot of crazy guys going around preaching. Uh, but now there's starting to be a movement. Now there's starting to be uh, maybe some validity attached to it, some excitement attached to it. So really, uh, this event starts as the starting place that's going to end with his crucifixion and his resurrection. Now, this is going to be the process that gets people talking about Jesus. So he says, hey, my hour's not yet coming, has not yet come talking about uh, this process. Verse 5, uh, 
His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. All right, verse five, four is a strange verse, but five is, it just kind of stacks on it. Um, he says, woman, what does this have to do with us? How's this our problem? Let them worry about the wine. They ran out of wine. We didn't run out of it. And then he says, uh, uh, really a, a weird separate thing. My hour has not yet come. But then in verse five, we see Mary really just kind of glances off and says, whatever he says, do that. Now, when you read that, you can assume Mary believed her son would do something. She expected he would do something. Whatever he says, do that. Um, here's what I started thinking about. Could she have imagined that he would do this? And I started thinking, I don't think anybody would have imagined that. We're out of wine. Jesus, we're out of wine. Don't you think he's probably going to send his crew and go get some? Go back to Nazareth? Go to somebody you knew? Find a different family? I don't, I don't know. Could she fathom that this is what's about to happen? Now, she knew who he was. She knows that. But I don't know in the, in the course of a normal day if she would have supposed that. Maybe she did. I, I'm kind of skeptical. The word here that, that's used for servants she turns to the servant and says, whatever he says, do that. Uh, it's also, I think it's interesting, it's a Greek word and it's very specific. It doesn't refer to household slaves or really paid or assigned slaves in any matter, but it's really a word for, for volunteers. And so she's there, she's helping serve at the wedding, and she turns and says to the other volunteers, whatever he says do, be sure and do that. Uh, these are also folks that are serving at uh, the wedding banquet. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Now these water pots are very interesting. I think when we read this, uh, maybe very quickly we miss the significance of the water pots uh, these were not water pots uh, that were set up that we might picture that, that have cool water in them. Uh, you know, you go to some place and they got the drinks and they always got some big old fancy deal and it's got some lemons floating in it and ice in it and you go, you know what, I think I'm going to have a cool drink of water. It wasn't like that. It wasn't an enticing uh, display that the people would have cool water out of. These were stone pots they were big pots, 20 to 30 gallons each. These water pots held the literal wash water for the event. So these aren't some big display, hey, this looks like something I want to drink. These hold the wash water. Those that came to the banquet that needed to wash their hands or their feet for the purification according to the law, you got to wash your hands before you go in. This is the water they would use to wash their hands or feet. Uh, it would also have been the water that they used to rinse off food. Perhaps if they were going to cook food, it would have been the water that they used for the dishes uh, that they would to rinse off and clean the dishes with. So it's, it's interesting to know, instead of some inviting picture of water that, hey, that looks good to drink, these were the this was the water for common use. This was the water tank out on the back porch. We've got these 20 and 30 gallon pots. This is the water that we're going to use for common purposes uh, for washing. It's the wash water. All right, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. They would have been using them. The week's been going on. People are coming and going. They would have been using them. So they filled them 
to the brim. Verse 8. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Um, imagine those, I, I kind of picture that. Imagine those family and friends who are being faced with this issue. Um, to run out of wine is a fiasco. Um, the family, the, the actual family, was about to suffer great embarrassment because they ran out of wine. Now, let me explain this. What if you go to Thanksgiving this year and there's nothing to drink? No water, no tea, no, no lemonade for the kids? Uh, you go to Thanksgiving, man, you got a turkey and you got a dressing, you got potatoes, hot rolls, butter, you got pies over there. But then somebody says, well, I'm going to get a glass of tea. Well, there's no tea. Well, I would get some water then. How about the water? There's no water. And you're going to be there for three hours, and the Cowboys in Detroit have got to fire it up, and, you, and there's, nothing, there's nothing here to drink. And I don't know, I, I'm pretty excited about gravy and biscuits anyway, so you eat four or five of those, or three or four of them, and, and you start going. And, well, can we go out? Well, there's nothing out there. There's nothing to drink. That's what's about to happen here. There's a feast. There's a banquet. It's a big deal. Somebody's messed up, and there's nothing here to drink. So imagine, here's the, the guys, the folks that are volunteering. They know we're out. They know we got a problem. They hear Mary say, hey, whatever this guy says, do that. And then he says this, has anybody filled up the wash water pots? And I think they start going, what's up with the wash water pots? We're out of wine. We're not, we don't need to wash our hands. We're already in the party. And so they're wondering what's going on. I think they're going, why don't we go get some wine? Who's, who can we go see? Do we need to talk to somebody? And so I imagine they're going, she said do what he says, but why are we filling these up? Why don't we go take care of this? I imagine they're thinking, what response is this? And maybe they're going, honestly, this is a dumb response. Now, sometimes you'll be somewhere and somebody will have a dumb response, but it's your cousin, and so you go, I guess we'll just get in the car and go do what he said do, but it's just, this is not going to work. I imagine they're wondering, why are we filling up the water pots? Why aren't we taking care of the wine? Here is an issue. Verses 9 and 10. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, he doesn't know where this came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they did know, the head waiter called the bridegroom. So the head waiter tasted it. He says, hey, go get the bridegroom. Verse 10, and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, let me explain drunk freely. Drunk freely in, in Greek is one word. It means have become intoxicated. So when you have a wedding and everybody's here had the good stuff and then they're intoxicated, get the bad stuff. And, and he says, that's the tradition. That's what we know is going to happen. That's what he's experienced. Then he serves the poorer wine. But what have you done? You've kept the good wine until now. And so what has just happened here is a, a most unexpected result. The water from the pots has now become wine. It is verified from this guy. He's not in on it. And he says, this isn't just the wine. This is the best wine. That is an unimaginable, unimaginable thing. Um, I thought about that. This isn't the day was saved. This was the day is better. So it wasn't, 
we don't have any wine. Now we got, we got this stuff. Uh, it was, this is the best. This is better than we had. Now, this, this is the best was, was, was saved for last. The, the, the problem just got a whole lot better. It didn't just get solved. The common, what, what they didn't even consider had now become special. The trouble had now become peace. We got a problem. No, we don't. There's just peace here. Um, it, it's an awesome, awesome thing. Shame. I don't know who was about to bear the most shame for running out, but whoever was about to do that, it's fixed. It's, not, it's better than fixed. And so the shame now becomes great praise. And so in all of that stands Jesus. That's a big deal. You know what he does? He takes the common, he makes it special. He takes the problem, and he makes it better than we'd have ever imagined. We have a sin problem. Uh, it is an awesome, awesome thing, and all of it is in Jesus. Bringing us to verse 11. This beginning of his signs... Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, verse 11 really is a, is a recovering. It's a retelling of what just happened. What just happened here? Uh, the, the apostle John, the evangelist John says, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Verse 11 is an explanation in God's own word of what just happened here. God says, here's a recap of what just happened here. So if you're sitting there going, what just happened here? There's a couple things. Why does he talk to his mom that way? Uh, why does she tell him, uh, he tell her, I'm not ready for that, and then she tells him, do it anyway. That's all odd, but, but God says, you want to know what just happened here? Well, here's what just happened. His first sign has just been done. His glory has been manifest. That means it's been made known. Um, his first sign is now visible. The questions now are, who is this who has done such a thing? They're having to start asking. He said he was the Christ. We heard that rumor. And now look what's happened. Uh, there, there is now a, a, a sign pointing to the truth of who he is. And so the, 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 the question's out, who is he? What has he done? Uh, these witnesses, guess what they're about to do? They're about to break up out of this wedding. They're going back to their jobs. They're going back to their houses. Some of them are going back to, to neighborhoods or towns that are close by. And they're going to start talking about this sign. They're going to start talking about what happened. The word is out. The cat's out of the bag, and it's about to spread what he did. His glory has been manifest. It's been made known. And, and here we go. The cat's out of the bag. Verse 11 tells us what just happened in this event. All right, last thing, and we're going to wrap it up, but the last thing is this. All right, I get that. I understand that. But there's really maybe a different turn right here in, in our understanding and the application of what just happened here. Notice the last of verse 11. Here it's crazy. It says this. And his disciples believed in him. This happens, and his disciples believed in him. Now I want you to think about that for a second. A couple of these disciples had traveled with John the Baptist. John the Baptist had said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had testified to Christ. John the Baptist had said, Don't follow me, go and follow him. So some of these guys had come from John the Baptist who had declared Jesus as the Messiah. 
Not only that, we read the account two weeks ago. Um, when they recognize, when, when Peter and Andrew and these guys recognize Jesus, they go find somebody else to tell. One of them says, this is the Messiah. Go tell somebody else. They go get their family members. They go get their friend. So John the Baptist has said, this is the Messiah. Now they have each made declarations. This is the Messiah. We have found the Christ of whom the scripture talks about. Then in another episode, Jesus comes by. They're fishing. And they, he says, follow me. It says they dropped their nets. They followed him. So they've been told this is the Messiah. They've talked to Jesus. He said he was the Messiah. They have realized he's the Messiah. They've told other folks that. They have followed him because he is the Messiah. All those things have happened. And then it says this, and then they believed in him. And I think, what in the world is that about? We've already got four episodes at least where they believed in him. What do you mean? And then they believed in him. His disciples then believed in him. What's this about? Surely they had already believed. Here's what I want you to see. The reality is this. Belief, faith, is a growing thing. Now, I want you to understand that. Your faith, our faith, is a growing thing. It doesn't mean it's not a real faith when it starts. It is a real faith, but it is a starting place faith. And as we go through life, as we spend time in God's word, but more than that, when we walk through the hard things of life, our faith becomes a deeper faith. Our faith becomes a stronger faith. Uh, Jesus knew these followers, what they're going to do, what they're going to see. Can you imagine the things they're going to see? They're going to see him crucified. He knew there's going to be hard days. After he ascends to heaven, there's going to be hard days. And so he needed to build in them a faith that would endure, that would be able to stand up in the toughest of trials. So there is this episode, and there's going to be an episode where he walks on water, and there's going to be an episode when he quiets the storm, and there's going to be another episode, and he is building in them a faith that will stand when the tough things that are coming actually come. Someday they're going to wonder, and I think we see it um, off and on. Some days Peter wonders. Some days they wonder. Um, when those days come, especially after he ascends, they're going to be able to go back and say, I don't know, is he really who he said he was? I don't know if we're doing the right thing. I don't know if we shouldn't have stayed fishing. We had a pretty good gig with my dad there. And they're going to say, yeah, you remember that wedding we were at? Yeah, you remember when there was no water and there was no wine and the water turned into wine? And each of these things, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing, it's going, to, it's going to result in a deep trust in him. Here's the question tonight. Today, and I'm talking about me, how many times do we want to escape hard things, painful things? I look around this room, and I see, man, that was tough. That was cruddy. That was unexpected. And I, I can see, man, a, a death, an unexpected diagnosis, maybe a relationship deal, maybe a financial deal. But you go, man, I wanted that lifted off of me. I, did, I didn't want to go through that. I can give you some examples. God, I was praying. I didn't want to go through that. And I didn't need that mess. And you know what he was doing? He was building you, building your faith for a day that's coming that you can say, 
He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. Uh, he is without sin. He is risen from the dead. He is my hope, my anchor, my foundation. And you know how I know? Because he has never left me, has never forsaken me. And on the days that I couldn't breathe or understand, he was building a deeper faith. You know what this is about? It's two things. He's declaring he's the Messiah. But I think more than any of that, he was taking these guys and saying, you know what? You can count on me. You can trust in me. Your faith in me is well placed. Guess what for you? Some of the things you had to walk through, some of the things he didn't lift off of you. Uh, I don't want to go back to some of those things. But you know what? In those things, if we had our eyes open, if we were listening, uh, we got closer to Christ and we learned. Most of the time, I've found this. Most of the time, for me, it generally happens in those times. And so if everything's a, is a patty cake ride in a Cadillac, now those days don't happen. But on hard days, you go, you know what? I don't have an answer outside of Christ. And it turns us to see he is who he says that he will be. When I finish that, I, came, I come back. It's in Mark chapter 9 to the guy that says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. It's a growing thing. It's a growing process. That's an awesome thing. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to lead some word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful that in tough days that you showed us who you were, and we saw that you are faithful. And we stand here today and, and we look back. We, we, we don't want maybe any more of that. But we do know that, that you are who you said and who you say that you are. And so we come and as hard as it is, we're say, we'll tell you we're thankful for the hard things where we saw who you are. Uh, we, we praise you tonight. I pray again that our kids have learned tonight. I pray for our youth that they've learned tonight. I pray that you are pleased and you're glorified tonight. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Glad you were here tonight.